podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sponsored by 1010 Podcasts. Hello and welcome to this very special launch episode of the Celtic Exchange, coming to you just hours after Celtic have clinched a truly historic 12th consecutive top flight trophy. I'm your host Tino and this evening I'm joined by Muff and Anton as we discuss just how big an achievement this has been for Neil Lennon and his players. Some people may accuse us of being glory hunters by launching the show on the day we secure such an historic achievement and those people are absolutely correct. I think we've earned the right to have our say though and as the man Martin O'Neill once said, we will do everything we can to bring some success to this podcast or at least something like that. So to get us started, Muff, Anton, welcome both to the show and to you first Muff, where do you start with that today? Oh, Tino. Um, well, it was a, a roller coaster, to say the least. Um, I, <laughs> the dominance of the first half, the the Celtic that we all know and love. Um, I, I don't think it's any coincidence we've saved our best performances this season, probably for Hamden. Um, you know, the Aberdeen game was 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 pretty similar, but then, geez, it was just the, the second half was just horrendous and. I think what you've seen it shone a light. The game shone a light on what we are this season as a team, and that is whilst there is still occasional brilliance, they seem heavily weighed down with the pressure, and there is now a fragility within the team. Um, and and the defence is the spotlight of it, but it's clearly the entire team, the, the structure of the team, and how they defend. And every time the ball got put in the box, it was just a heart attack moment. But what I would also say was the concession of needless free kicks was just a constant frustration but post-mortems are probably for another day um, so. the, the the enormity of the the achievement did kind of overcome me overcome me slightly at the, the end um when when big Iyer put that penalty away but a momentous achievement but absolutely put through the mill yeah roller in order to get there what about yourself anton what do you what do you make of that today uh, i think my overwhelming emotion is relief to be honest after that it's great, of course, to get our 12th trophy in a row and the quadruple treble is finally, after months and months of waiting, it's finally been achieved. But uh, the first 45 minutes, I thought, looked really comfortable. Um, but from the second half onwards, it was, uh, I think I've no experienced that since I watched The Passion of the Christ, to be honest. It was a uh, torture uh, in itself. Another classic. But uh, Absolutely. But uh, the I think Hearts just... Like many of our opponents recently have just kind of smelt blood. We gave them a lot of encouragement, but somehow we managed to find a way to win. And that's been something that we've been able to do over the, these last few seasons and uh, pick up another trophy. And it's, as you say, an absolute roller coaster. And it, we spoke just there on the, the instant match reaction. We will go through some of the finer detail of the game, but at the end of the day, you either win it or you don't, and they won it. So that's first and foremost, huge achievement, but. Yeah, it was, you know, definitely a, a roller coaster of, of emotions and it's it's become par for the course there in recent weeks and we definitely have this fragility thing going on where we can take the lead, we can score goals, but the moment we concede, and it's almost the moment we concede, there just seems to be serious doubt that sets in. I mean, the, co- the combination was start of the second half conceding so early. It was like just happening in slow motion. You could see Big Ayers no shot the first tackle, done slow reaction to the lowest ball comes back, gets recycled, gets put in the box. Big Duffy has a look, can see somebody coming in at the edge of the box and he almost kind of just repositions his cell, 
and the ball's just perfect for, for Boyce. Boyce is a quality operator, especially for that level. You know, international player. striker, scored goals over a number of years, and it was a great header for Boyce. As soon as that goal hit the back of the net, you could just see the weight of the expectation and the pressure arrive on the, on the players' shoulders. And, and whilst it's been said, you know, these players have serial winners and they've took us to the point where we've been able to achieve a quadruple treble, I think um, I, I watched through BBC commentary and I think they said there was only four players started for Celtic that started in the final last year or the, or the last final against Hearts. So that in itself tells you, you know, there's there's obviously a, a, a difference whilst, whilst we still think of it as the same squad. Yeah. yeah, that's not necessarily the case. So, you know, the, the pressure was on those guys on the park and I think you just saw the belief kind of like drain away from them because of what was at stake and the ramifications for them and possibly the manager if they didn't win it. Yeah, so, so speaking of the team, we'll, we'll have a look at the lineup first of all and you can give me your thoughts on that. So, obviously the big talking point was Scott Brown coming back in. So, Connor Hazard making only his third appearance for Celtic started in goals. Ayer stayed out at right back. Taylor held on to his position at left back and Julian and Duffy in the centre. Then you'd Scott Brown and McGregor sitting in front of that with David Turnbull in the more advanced role. Uh, Ryan Christie on the right-hand side, which I think a lot of people predicted as well, in place of Frimpong. Moyel Yunusi on the left and Odson Edward up top. So any huge surprises, Anton? I think you called it in terms of uh, Brown getting the start. So what was your own thoughts on the lineup? Uh, to be honest, it was the lineup that I would have picked. Uh, so I've no complaints regarding uh, the starting 11. Um, I think that the back four gives us generally a little bit more stability. So I was quite confident when I saw the lineup, and I think that was borne out by how we performed in the first half. Uh, the, the BBC commentator had said that they, they feared for Hearts in the, in the first half and how the game had developed, and it looked as if we were going to go on and score a few more. Uh, we didn't see what was going to happen uh, in the second half. Perhaps we should have, given what's been happening in the last few months, but just the encouragement that we may have taken from the last couple of games, you thought... Hopefully, to use the cliche, we've turned a corner here, but the same old things came back to haunt us a wee bit and put us through the mill. What well, did you think of the lineup? Were you quite pleased with it? All the, all the chat before the game was Sorrell Brown, who'd been goals. Based on the way the first half went, I don't think you could really argue with the team selection because it, it, it bossed the game and it put us in a position where we were two goals up. That said, there are elements of the first half where Hearts didn't really need to do much to cause us problems. You know, just a, a simple ball kind of down the line. And I don't know if... Is, is that to do with actual team selection? I think it's more to do with just the, the structure of the team. We'd, we'd spoke previously about playing with a kind of 4-2-3-1, maybe put less pressure on the fullbacks because they had somebody in front of them and it meant if they went beyond them, they weren't worrying about losing the ball and, and being exposed. But it just seemed to be a different type of problem. Just the ball down the channel caused, caused us a lot of hassle today. I think Taylor playing was probably the right idea. I, I felt the substitutions that were made when they were made were a wee bit, a wee bit odd in my opinion. Um, thought Taylor, Elianusi and Turnbull were all playing pretty well. By the same token, a change had to come because the, 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 the momentum of the game had just swung so much in favour of Hearts that I can completely understand he's just went, right, freshen up with the wings and try and go and get him behind them, get Lax out, get Frimpong on to go, mm-hmm. go beyond them. I think that uh, it was really... We talk about team selection a lot here, but I think it was a kind of domino effect of that first goal. And I think that first goal it came as an accumulative effect of defensive or lack of cohesion over the last few weeks and months, chopping and changing the defence all season. I think that guys didn't know who they were picking up. Julian was uh, had kind of let his man go. Duffy was kind of stuck with two. Taylor didn't really tuck in and support Duffy. So there was a couple of them, you know, that could have attacked that ball. If you look at Big Ayer, how he's performed in the first half specifically, mm-hmm. you know, he's been an outlet. He's driving the team forward. Um, 
he's shown shown a lot of energy. I'd seen somebody saying probably took a really good driving midfield player and turned him into a fairly average centre half. But Chank's a wee bit harsh. I think he's a bit better than that when he plays at centre half. But mm-hmm. you take the point. You know he is a driving force. He seems to be better utilised in, in that position for getting us forward, but likewise, it, it was him that kind of caught. He was sleeping a wee bit for, for their first goal. I suppose today was just one of those games where uh, the selection, ah, he's got it right. You need to say he's got it right because we were 2 0 up and he's cruising in the first half. I don't necessarily think it's purely just down to the team selection as to why things went south in the second half. I think it's just more to do with the occasion, what's at stake, and also in the context of this season and what the players have been through. Yeah, and you ask anybody at half-time, has he got the selection right? Absolutely, spot on. Lenny's done the right thing. Ask the very same guys on 70 Minutes, it's all about the selection. So he, he can't he can't have it right and wrong, and, and some fans can't have it both ways. And I think you're right, Muff. I don't think it's I don't think Celtic's problems right now are down to the individuals that, he, that he's picking. They're all you know talented and experienced players. A lot of them are serial trophy winners. They know how to win games of football. It's not about you know it's almost it's almost irrelevant who he picks. I you should be able to pick any eleven of the Celtic squad, and they should be capable of beating you know Championship Hearts, Ross County, St Johnson, and all these these teams that we've struggled with or struggled against in recent weeks. And I think we've talked before, it, it really does for me anyway, and you lads might think different, but for me it just comes down to some sort of collective mindset. I heard Lenny's interview when I was coming in, heard it on the radio, and he talked about the the immense pressure of the quadruple treble. That now, in a successful way, has been lifted. We no longer, or the players no longer, have to have that on them every minute of every day and the pressure that, that must bring. So obviously it's, it's fantastic to be talking about this, having won that. But whether they won or lost today, at least that pressure would have gone. So maybe, maybe that will free up some players to play with a bit more uh, or a bit less pressure. Um, because it's clear that, that they have been... Su- they're, not, they're not struggling because they're not good players. They're struggling because of something mentally. And I think that's really clear. I'd agree with that. I think that, uh, we, you know, we've been talking about selection and things like that. And you could even uh, negate tactics maybe even a bit. I think, as you say, there is a, a, a mental issue with it and it comes down to, I think, confidence particularly. There's a, a real lack of confidence in, in the team and you see players second-guessing themselves, overthinking decisions on the ball, eh, lunging into tackles when they don't have to, being really rash with decision-making and it just bleeds throughout the team and you've got young guys coming into that team and experienced players. You know, they can't depend on the usually dependable experienced players who are... You, you know, that they, they can uh, rely upon and maybe bounce off and get some confidence from, you know, they're not playing well. So, uh, I mean, you look around the team for a bit of assurance and it's not really there. So you get guys like Young Hazard who obviously was a little bit rash on a couple of occasions today and um, that's what happens when teams are lacking confidence. Yeah, there was a moment just, just about the hour mark I'm, I'm almost hoping we could have bypassed it but we definitely can't where Julian and Duffy just decided to tackle each other. It was a real... Keystone Cops How many, after how many times have we seen that this season? You know, the amount of times defenders, two or three of them, going for the same ball and then sometimes even leaving yeah. a couple of players unmarked. Mm-hmm. And they're not they're not kids. They're not 19 and 20 and 21. So Julian, I think, is 28. Duffy, in fact, I think they're about the same age. So they're well experienced. They've played lots of you know top flight football or top level football. But actually, that's when I really noticed the change in tone across the board. It was almost like they made that mistake. The lad had a chance and, and Hazard done well to save it. Could easily have been two each though. But they made that mistake and it's almost like the whole team just went, all right, that's us back to doing that again. And everything just seemed to go backwards from there. I, I mean, we could probably do a separate podcast on Julian's low pain threshold. That, that's that's for another day. Julian is actually in control of that situation and can clear the ball. Sees Duffy and stops. Now, again, 
doesn't matter what level you've played at. I've played at a very low level with Tino. I've been there. Um, just shout and clear the ball. Yeah. You know, it's it, it, and, and these are the basic, basic things which you need to remember that the vast majority of this team went away to Lazio and won last year. And I know we keep going on about that and harping mm-hmm. on about it. They also went to Ibrox as well and defended as a really solid unit. For whatever reason, this season, the, the, the whole team, the defence, the spotlight's on them, the keeper situation, which we've been on about, the, the, you know, whatever combination it is, playing at centre-half, just take that individual responsibility. And, and and the fact that they're not doing it like you have alluded to, Tino, it must be, can only be a mental problem, as in the pressure of the ongoing situation that they're, they're mired in. But surely, surely to me, if you've came and you've signed for Celtic, right? doesn't matter who you are, you know, you don't need to have grown up in Royston and have a tricolour up in your wall to know the significance of what, what this season is. Players that have been brought in, scouted, agreed their contract terms, would have been told, you know, what's at stake and, and what we're going for, what we've achieved. They would have known that even if they'd done their own homework. For the players to be so heavily weighed down by it, the question I'd ask you is, is, is that because the fans are not there to support them? Do you, you know, Lennon made that quip at the, at the AGM, which I thought, actually somebody posted a video on Twitter what he actually said compared to how it was reported. He wasn't quite saying. Yeah. It was just, uh, or Celtic missed their fans more than anybody else in the whole world and it's our, the biggest problem that we've got. To me, it just seems to be individuals are just making crazy decisions. Yeah, <laughs> for some I, reason. I mean, that, that actual incident there, I don't know if it was because, uh, you know, Duffy doesn't speak French or Julian doesn't speak Irish, but something's going wrong there. <laughs> but the, the language barrier shouldn't kick in. You just call your name and you just put your boot through it and that's it. And it, I mean, as I've said, we've, we've played amateur stuff in, in lower level football and whatever else, but it's basic stuff. It's stuff you get taught as a kid. It's like, do you know what? Call your name and clear your lines. And you and, and get two young boys that play football and, it's similar messages, you know, clear the danger and you regroup and you move on. Celtic should be no different from that. So it's just, it really, that that one moment was really amateur stuff. There's no getting away from it. And, you yeah. know, there are two guys who I sincerely hope go on to do well. And, you know, Duffy's had such a hard time. And Julian has proven his worth, you know, several times last season. But I, I don't think it's because the two of them aren't good footballers that mistakes happened. It's just because there's not enough confidence and belief from one or the other to say, this is my ball, I'm clearing the danger, get out of my road. And that just didn't, didn't happen there. And I wonder if that just then filters through to other guys. I think there's a combination of, you know, second-guessing themselves and overthinking things, trying to take responsibility, and maybe both of them at the same time thinking, I'll, I'll take the charge here and getting in each other's way. But it just points to, you know, our biggest uh, deficiency at the moment, which is the defence. And that has got to be a major focus for the team going forward over the next uh, few games if we have to make anything of the rest of the season. I also think there's something throughout this whole thing that we've no touched upon that I think really needs some close attention when it comes down to team selection for him, and that is Odson Edward. Um, yeah. Now, the penalty's absolutely magic. That's great. And, mm-hmm. you know, have you seen McCann's comment? Neil McCann's I've seen comment. all of them. Do you want to share them with us? Neil McCann had said he found it disrespectful. Oh, there you go. Probably because a Celtic player's done it, to be perfectly frank with you. 100%. Aye, would it have been McCann? disrespectful if Gordon just stood there and caught it? You know? well, ex- so exactly. It's a, way, it's a way to score a goal. I, I don't buy that at all. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I, obviously, I'm, I'm new to the podcast game, so I, I don't want to say any slanderous comments <laughs> um, on MD that had an opinion yeah. on that. But my, my, my point is that the overall general play of Edward was somewhat lacking. He's, he's extra motivated against Hearts, and I think you saw that when he came on. You know, he, he, he did put a, lot, put a lot of work in. But also, Griffiths, what Griffiths is, He's a, just a good general striker. You know, whilst he's a, an excellent predator and scores loads of goals, great technique, he just makes those, I, I don't want to say daft wee runs, but you know, those wee runs down the channel that just come naturally him, that he's done all his days and that's how he gets his goals. For me, I, I don't know how many times, first and second half, Edward was just statues. 
Mm-hmm. Just if he's not getting the ball on his feet, he's, he's not moving. And, and I'm not picking him out, I'm not singling him out in, in the sense that there were other players who didn't play to their potential today or, or maybe looked a bit weighed down by the, the situation. But I think clearly with Edward, this is an ongoing thing. He has just not hit anywhere near top form at all yeah. this season. And I find it very strange because the, the penalty itself was absolute class and there's only certain types of players in world football that, that can do that in terms of the you know, have the mindset to do that in a cup final, no less. I made the point as well on Twitter that Craig Gordon has probably faced more odds and Edward penalties than most goalkeepers, albeit in training. So he knows his technique, he knows how the guy thinks, and he's still, you know, the mind game, that you're the battle of them, the mind's there. Edward has come out on top and then some. For Neil McCann to say it's disrespectful is just utter nonsense, in my opinion. Odds and Edward's job is to score goals for Celtic, and whatever technique he finds to do that, He's doing his job. Well, I don't know what Neil McCann's opinion was on launching the ball at somebody after they've scored, didn't he, either? But um, he didn't really quite go into that. Yeah, that wasn't the, quite as disrespectful. Nah, yeah, I know. Sorry to launch the ball at somebody. The, the thing about Gordon is, again, obviously you might start calling me Mystic Myth, but last, last week I did say that uh, it was all set up for Gordon to save a penalty mm-hmm. um, and, and be the hero. And when he saved Christie's penalty, I was just like, no, come on, man, come on. It was a tough moment in the house, I have to say. It does probably bring us back to the point of selection and the fact that Hazard started. The more general point there, and I might be going off at a tangent here, is that how have we allowed ourselves to get into that situation where Hazard has had to start in a cup final and Craig Gordon is in goals for the opposition? Because I know Gordon has a litany of mistakes behind him as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's cost us on more than one occasion, but he, he, he does produce big saves at big big times as well. I don't think anybody would argue that, that, you know, of the keepers that have been available to us, Gordon's better than all of them. Yeah, it's very strange how that's all come to be. And it just looks like just poor squad management and, you know, poor management overall. Because if the big hope was that Fraser Foster was coming in, which would have been great, you just say to Craig Gordon, just sit tight a wee minute. And if that deal comes in, you're absolutely free to go. Now, I know Gordon was out of contract, so, you know, he maybe held the cards there, but there's conversations to be had. And you could have said to him, listen, we'll pay you X if we can manage to get you in. And there's ways around that, and that's that that's Celtic's job as a club to do that. But I think I made the point again in the pilot episode that at one point you had Scott Bain, last year's number three, became this year's number one. Now he's back to two, maybe three, in fact, because Barkas was on the bench. Connor Hazard, last year's number, nothing. He was nowhere near it. No. And I think he might have been out on loan last year. He comes in, uh, graces that famous number 65 shirts for Celtic, and has a couple of decent games there um, against Leo and Kilmarnock. Didn't, you know, couldn't have done much about the two Leo goals untested against Kilmarnock, but looking a bit more confident and a bit more assured. And I made those points, but I wonder if I was just latching onto something, you know, I was desperate for some goalie good news to talk about, and maybe that's that's what I've done. But he's made a real clangor for the third. Now, call it nerves, adrenaline, or maybe just not good enough, but he's come out to punch and got nowhere near it. What did you think of that, Anton? I, I thought that... To be honest, uh, and I hate to be hypercritical of the, the young guy because I don't think it's actually his fault, as, as we mentioned earlier, that we shouldn't really be in this position where he's playing for us in a cup final. It's it's happening far too soon in his career and his development. But um, I thought that he could have done better for the second goal. I thought he was, you know, uh, outmuscled far too easily, I think by Naismith it was. Uh, and for the, the third one, He's just came out, you know, far too rash. So a feel for the lad. Um, but just as you'd mentioned about Gordon, you know, compared to the goalkeepers that we've got currently, I absolutely, you know, you would probably have Gordon in there. 
However, I was just hoping that uh, that we could get a better goalkeeper than Gordon this season anyway. You know, if that was yep. Foster, yep. I was hoping that the recruitment would be good enough that, you know, our, our incoming goalkeeper would be a guy that would enhance what, we, what we've what we got. Barkas hasn't done that so far. I don't know if there's holistic reasons you know, that he's not performing. Uh, the guy, as we, we've spoke about before, you know, he came with a, a you know fairly highly rated. You'd mentioned last week myth about Milan. We're looking at him and things like that. I, I still need to get that verified. By the way, I, I, get, I, get I really that, would. I really would like that. Check, could you? I really would like that verified because I, I I'm, I'm, I'm not having it. If I'm being yeah. honest, but, but well, he's got pedigree, and I can remember the save he pulled off against us in the qualifier. It was, it was a belter. I've, yeah. not, I've not seen anything like that yet. <laughs> I've just had it confirmed that uh, Maryhill Milan were actually... Nah, Maryhill Milan, yeah. I can believe it's, it. The thing is with Barkas as well, people talk so much about he's not done a great deal wrong and I mostly agree with that but he's also just not stepped up when you want him to step up. Fraser Foster's the kind of goalie and it's a, a high, high benchmark to be competing against but Fraser Foster's a goalie that just does those things which run-of-the-mill goalies don't. You know, he comes out, he saves penalties, he saves at feet, one-on-one, tipping things out the top corner, all these yep. kind of things that we've just just not seen at all from Barkas and have no idea that if you know if he's got it in his locker. But going back to Craig Gordon, if Craig Gordon was in the squad just now, he'd be number one oh, all day long. Absolutely. He's easily the best and most competent of those four For, goalkeepers. Foster, Foster had presence. Mm-hmm. You know, guys going one-on-one against him had to maybe think twice if they were going to score. Barkas and uh, Bain have been... You know, Barkas, uh, rather unkindly, uh, one of my mates referred to him as a hologram in goals. And it's because every shot that he faces tends to go in, you know. And, you know, hopefully the guy can come good. But I've got, my, I've got you know, big doubts about yeah. that at this stage. F- five million is a lot of money to spend on a hologram, I have to say. You know, a guy that, that should be coming in and doing a, a whole lot better. We mentioned as well, David Marshall and somebody mentioned during the week actually on the radio that John McLaughlin, who's now obviously Rangers, they were both available in a free. So what's happening behind the scenes that someone has hopefully seen them on the radar and thought, okay, we could go Marshall, we could go McLaughlin. Now let's spend five million and go Barkas. I, I can't get my head around it and I don't want to dwell too much on it today. So we'll we'll move on from the goalkeeper. Good luck to Young Hazard. Obviously became the hero in the end, which will do his confidence, you know, no harm at all. And I hope he kicks on to bigger things. Might have been a bit of a sliding doors crossroads type moment in his career at such a, a, an early stage but he's come through it in a positive way and he'll be absolutely buzzing tonight and, and why not so looking further into the team um, the main selection out with the obviously the goalkeeping situation and sticking with Connor Hazard today was Scott Brown Muff, how do you think he played overall you know first half obviously really quite exceptional but overall I I, I mean I suppose ultimately in extra time he's, he's almost won you the game there um, our inability to see it out kind of hindered how, how we would view that but um, I think it was uh, Billy Dodds on, on commentary no, no that again that's me name checking Neil McCann and Billy Dodds on this I'll be yeah. chucked <laughs> off this is my, my only appearance your media mates um, aye <laughs> um, Billy Dodds had said you're looking for somebody to take the game by the scruff of the neck the way that Brown came in attacked that ball you know we, we needed somebody to stand up nothing looked like it was going to happen devoid of inspiration and in his game you know charging in won that header and, and Griffiths is where, where a good striker should be there, there to prod it in I thought Brown probably, in my opinion, justified his selection. However, probably should have been off the park before he had the chance to do to um, go and produce that header. As I say, the, the changes and maybe the timing of the changes were a, were a bit odd to me. But ultimately, I think over the piece, Brown justified his selection from the start. I would say yes, and, and I'd have to agree with that. As I say, you know, at half time, you'd have turned on and said, that "Top man, absolutely bossing it." And then getting the second half, 
I certainly don't think Scott Brown was the the reason for the downfall and the you know the the backtracking and, and the defending we had to do. I think that's that's the thing, you know, that in these occasions a lot of people can look for a digestible uh, person to pin that this person is why uh, the things went wrong. But uh, yeah. Scott Brown, easy target. Aye, Scott Brown is often the easy target, you know, in these situations. But uh, I, I wouldn't blame him for uh, what you know the way the second half went, for example. Um, I think he had a good first half. I think he tired as the game went yes. on, and I think that is you know that points to the fact that we need somebody like Sorrow to take up that mantle going forward, and mm-hmm. hopefully yeah, he can fill fill those boots. I think the more general point on Brown is I don't think people are necessarily screaming for him not to play at all. Mm-hmm. It's for him to be managed in a better way. And, and you know, this almost mad constant inclusion of him in what, midweek cup games, Europa games, home league games, when clearly you could change it up and freshen up and give others game time. Yeah. Um, Turnbull in particular as well, and we'll probably come on, come on to him later. I think that'll be interesting just on, on Wednesday night. So we play Ross County in the league on Wednesday night, obviously another <laughs> very important game. Um, it'll be interesting to see if after... 90 minutes and a half or so of extra time will Scott Brown be pitched in there again. For me, that would seem madness right away. I've not thought about it too much, but that would seem madness. And surely that is the absolute opportune moment to slot in Sorrow and let him, you know, stake he, his claim. It looked as if he had maybe a, a bit of a knock as well at the end of that. So I would be very surprised as well if he starts. Yeah, so we'll see. That'll be an interesting one to digest next week. Matthew, uh, you'd mentioned David Turnbull there, and, and it's obviously very important to cover that. Not his best game by any stretch. Um, subbed off in the second half, and, and it looked a bit disappointed to, to be subbed off. It was funny as well. For me, even if a guy like Turnbull's not having a great game, his deliveries are yep. spot on. And I think on a couple of occasions they let Christie hit some while Turnbull was on, and I just I think that's madness because everything Turnbull puts into an area, it's dangerous, and it, you know it's in a, a, a tempting area for the centre halves to go and attack. Christie overcooked some time after time, and that happened again today. So I was disappointed to see Turnbull come off, but I didn't think he was having his best game. What was your thoughts on that, Anton? I I'd agree with that, but that's I think that's going to happen with young players. You know, guys. Uh, you know, he's he's fairly new to the club. He's not got a lot of games under the belt, so I think we need to kind of temper our expectations of him. He, you know, he's kind of just starting to get, you know, get, you know, be given his, his time in the starting 11. So he's going to have these off games from time to time. But um, I think there's an, enough to see from Turnbull that he will become, you know, a good player for us. From us, for us. I think that his decision-making at times, he, can, he needs to work on that. You know, he'll maybe try to have a, a shot from distance or uh, tight angles where... Uh, he could maybe lay somebody in. So I think he just needs to work on that. But I think that today wasn't his best, but I think we will see uh, good things from him. Yeah, and maybe the more he plays with, you know, the Edwards and, and the McGregors and the, and the different guys around him, he'll know when you should be passing it, when you should be releasing it and when you be, should be taking a shot and goal. I think what, what um, differentiates Turnbull for the rest of the team is he, he has that ability to kind of turn both ways with the ball. I'm not a huge fan of Christy playing out wide. I think Christy either plays central or doesn't play. That's my opinion. Um, I understand they wouldn't want to really play Johnson in a game today when he's not had a lot of game time so his hand was maybe forced slightly because of that but if you've got Christian and Elanusi in the team that isn't natural width you've got two players that want to come inside they want to drift down off the wing and affect the game in the, in the inside so you're playing with almost like kind of two inside uh, midfielders rather than people that, that are got to go on the outside that said I thought I thought Christy actually had a really good game today and whilst these deliveries um, for set pieces are, leave a lot to be desired at, at times He's energetic, 
and he is always kind of niggling away looking to try and make something happen. He gets a lot of stick for hitting lots of shots and maybe trying outrageous from time to time, but he did it today, and that's that's what got us the lead. So, I, I mean, I think you need a Christie in your team when we're, we're playing as rigidly as we are the now. You need a Christie in your team to try that because he has got the ability to pull it off, and he did do that today with Turnbull. He picks up those excellent wee positions. He, he is a wee bit reminiscent to me of, of Rogic. Uh, you know, he kind of does the things that Rogic used to do on a more regular basis. And I thought Turnbull produced two really brilliant moments today. The one where he did the keep up and put the ball in the box, which was just great skill and great vision. But also even better vision when he done that kind of wee chip ball through or the, the kind of flicked ball over the top to, to Elianusi, which suggests to me the more he plays, the more games we get into him, the more we're going to see that type of thing from him. What he never had today was a fit and fire Odson Edward to run in behind, which Eddie was doing last season without even thinking. You've seen a few times Turnbull picking up the ball, driving in that sort of 40 yards out space with the head up, and he was delaying, delaying, delaying a pass because there just wasn't the movement in front of him that he wanted. And that's in those occasions Anton's touched on it. He maybe takes a daft shot when, when he shouldn't, when he, he could be laying somebody in. So I'm really excited about the possibility of building a, a team around Turnbull with, with movement off him, you know, like I touched on the pilot episode last week, Johnson coming back is, is exciting as well. Is there any update on Forrest just on that point? Is it, do it's, we know all, the... it's all very quiet on that front and it'd be good to know, is it four weeks, is it 16 weeks, is it, is it whatever? You know, it's all very quiet and I, I don't know if they've put a time on his recovery. So that that, that is a concern because he's a man who's often criticised, but you actually see how big a loss he's been because I, I'd like to dwell on that point. Actually, if you talked about the the lack of width, the lack of genuine width in the team. And even if you look at, I think Moyel Yunusi is also a 10. Truth be told, he's desperate to cut inside at times. Yep. He's definitely not a left winger. By the same token, Christie's not a right winger. And also further behind him, you've got uh, Chris Iyer, who's definitely a central player, whether that's in midfield or centre defence. Yep. He's also not a wide player, but all of a sudden he's a right back. And Taylor of the starting lineup was actually the only natural wide player um, in the team. And some a friend of mine made the point before the game, you're playing on Hamden Park, which is huge in terms of its width. And yet you can't capitalise on that because you don't have genuine wide men. And we've seen it, we've talked about it before, but Greg Taylor does get in some decent positions and cracks the ball off the f- first man, which is hugely frustrating. And it must be, t- to give a bit of defence to Odson Edward, must be frustrating if as a front man you've made the run and maybe the right run and Listen, it doesn't get in, in fairness today, guys got out wide and picked Edward out. You know, he's missed a hat-trick of really, really good chances. He has. Why are you speaking about him like this? So it's upsetting me. Um, I, I, I just... I love him so much. I want him yeah. to do better. You know, I just it, it, well, you, we all know the player that's there. We've yeah. seen him last season. The, the reason our form's been so indifferent is because he's not been there to bail us out. Let's be honest. Yeah, it, it's it's enigmatic stuff because to to score the Penenka penalty in the way that he has done, that takes extreme confidence. Yet other aspects of his play aren't reflecting that confidence. You know, to go up and take it. You know, cup final. Or, or, you know, pressure moment and deal with it so coolly. And then other times, I think the chances you're referring to him after one that he's kind of. He's kind of snapped at them and they both kind of hit maybe the undersole of his boot and skiddied past. So he's he's giving you very enigmatic performances just now, which is troubling. He is, in my opinion, absolutely top-notch. So the 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 reason that I'm constantly getting back to him is because I want him to do so much better. And I know he is capable of so much better. I have seen him produce endless quality over the course of a season. So we know he's capable. I just, I, I just wish... I could get to the bottom of it. I think just what you said there about the service to him as well. You know, if the guys around about him aren't firing in all cylinders, then he's going to suffer as a result. Strikers are only as good as the service, you know, they get. 
and um, he's not he, a lot of the time this season he's not really received a lot of good service, particularly in the last couple of months or so. Today, though, as you mentioned, he did have a few good chances that last season he'd probably have taken one or more of them. So, absolutely, uh, we all know what a great player he is, but there's just something all right there, and I think that it's been it's been going on for a long time now, and there's maybe bigger issues in terms of whether you know he sees his future here, and I yep. think that that kind of can feed into confidence and motivation for the performances that you're, that we're all seeing. I also think it's a bit of a two-way street in terms of Edward is only as good as the service that he's getting, but likewise for the El Unices and the Christies and the Turnbulls, they're only as good as the runs that they're receiving in front of them. So, you know, if they look up and they're looking for that wee channel pass or, or in the back of the defence and, and Edward hasn't made that run, which Griffiths maybe would do. Griffiths is more natural in terms of those runs, perhaps, but, um, it, you know, it works both ways. And I just think that they're not quite clicking, but the early signs are that maybe Turnbull and Edward in particular, I think they're similar in terms of their wavelength. Yep. And I'd like to see them given ample opportunity. And for me, the, the time for experimenting with Klamala and stuff is is long gone and, and, and should have been long gone. I don't, he should be there if absolutely required. Interesting that Ayeti didn't even make the bench today, actually, but we'll, we'll not dwell on that for today's episode. But it's for me, it's Edward with Griffiths, you know, certainly the number two striker. And I'd certainly like to be seeing what Turnbull and Edward can do together with Griffiths coming in now and then when required. We, we seem to be really potent attacking last year when we had Griffiths and Edward in the same team. Um, frustrating things, probably the fact that it's mainly down to Griffiths that he's not been in the team. I absolutely adore Lee Griffiths. I think he's probably one of the most underrated Celtic players of my lifetime for the point of view of contribution. But he's done enough to irk a lot of people who just don't see that dedication. I was delighted for him the day, both in scoring the goal and scoring his penalty. Um... I think he, he, whatever issues he has, we as a club just need to find a way of getting him fit and on the park, scoring goals. If that is not going to be achievable and we deem it not to be achievable over the next, you know, six months, we need to start looking for other options because if, if Edward is away in the summer, which I would wager will be the case, mm-hmm. we're left with Ajay and Kamala. Kamala, very, very raw. I still think there's there's something work in there, he's got the right attitude. But Ajeti, to me, I mean, if we thought Edward's movement was poor today, if Ajeti was on the park, he'd have, you know, the guy be at Lundins. I think it's similar to the goalkeeping situation, you know, uh, with when Foster was, was leaving, you know, we thought we had the ready-made replacement coming in. I think similarly with uh, the possibility of Edward leaving, we brought in Ajeti, thinking that this was going to be the, the main man. And I think even back then, the, the minds were made up that we can't rely on Griffiths, unfortunately. Like you, I'm a massive fan of Griffiths. That left foot he's got on him is just unbelievable. You know, he's a de- brilliant from dead balls, brilliant in the box, great finisher. However, you just cannot rely on him in terms of fitness and uh, availability. He just always seems to have calf injuries, it appears. So, you know, with with the, uh, all the ability he's got, it's just so frustrating. But with all that said, the guy that we brought in, Ajeti, I mean, he is he's just not up to scratch so far at all. And um, we talked about the lack of movement and things like that. I think, uh, we mentioned this before, uh, la- last week's uh, pilot, I think we just bought the wrong type of striker. And uh, as a result, you know, that kind of uh, puts boundaries around our game and how the team plays. If we had a, a bigger kind of target man type, we could vary up the game a bit. You yep. know, when, when the one-twos around the box for Edward only working, we can go a bit longer, we can... 
you know, uh, when our defenders are under pressure, we can go a bit longer and things like that. It just opens up a few more doors for the team and can maybe lighten the load a wee bit for them. Yeah, and these concerns weren't there when Ayeti came in at first because he was that penalty box predator. He scored a late winner against Dundee United, I think it was his first in, in several goals. I think he had five goals in X minutes, as in he'd, he'd hardly even played full games for us, but he was still banging them in week after week. Since then, I don't know the stats as to when the last time he scored was, but he, he now looks like the kind of player that would be cast aside at a club like West Ham. He doesn't seem fit, doesn't seem hugely interested. He comes off the bench and goes through the motions. So again, let's not dwell on, on guys like that in today's podcast. But overall, it's a concern in the striking positions in that I agree with. I think Edward will move on and you're left with, unfortunately, an unreliable Lee Griffiths, unless he can kick on from today, which should give him a boost. But overall, I would hope so. I would hope unreliable. so. That, that's what I truly hope. Um, and Clamalla's not ready. So that could be a concern for next year. And as we know, Celtic aren't the best at forward planning, succession planning. Scott Brown being the, the absolute case in point for that. So, anyway, overall, um, obviously, kind of, <laughs> I'm forgetting we won a quadruple treble today. I don't know if we've kind of drifted off topic far too much there. So, to, to bring it back to that, um, aside from individual performances and, you know, some enigmatic stuff going on at times, some positives in terms of Mikey Johnson coming back in, and I think that width will certainly help the team. Maybe he gets a nod on, on Wednesday as well, time will tell. But what does this result today mean for? For Neil Lennon, first of all, and for the, the club as a whole moving forward to the, the latter stage of this season, Muff? It's difficult because that cup was from last season. So you're kind of that that's you you finishing off that that season. Quadruple treble, a historic achievement. For Neil Lennon, when when we speak as, as we get older, when we speak about this era, it's just going to be linked to Lennon. He, you know, he started the the journey the, the nine. He's taking us to the, the quadruple treble. You know, the things he's done for us as a player and a manager, he, he's just inextricably linked with the club. I'm, I'm delighted for him and you can see what it meant to him. Today, you know, I think for all, we may have had issues with his management style or perceived issues with his management style because of things that have happened over the past few months. What you what you can't say is that Disney, you know, gives heart and soul for the club. Um, and you saw today just how much that meant to him, the pressure that that must have put him under. For a man that's obviously his own issues and, and you know, kinda kinda demons to fight along the way. I think this this secures Lennon's legacy as as a as a Celtic great. Um however, <laughs> where it leaves him going forward, I still don't know because it, it's still it's still there are still questions to be answered. We still don't look like a cohesive unit, but the post mortem for that should be for another day because this achievement is Momentous, yeah, it's a momentous achievement, definitely. And, and it should be a day, you know, just just mark the contribution that Neil Lennon has made to Celtic Football Club. You know, in terms of his role of honour, he's, I think, he's now won the Scottish Cup four times as a player and four times as a manager. He's the only person in Celtic history to win a treble as a player and a manager, which is outstanding as an achievement. Um, of the twelve trophies, I think he has lifted five of them. So he came in and followed a very very high. Uh, you know, standard, a very successful manager and Brendan Rodgers has won five of them. Yet, incredibly, on the night that he's clinched, you know, the 12th of 12 trophies, we're still talking about what may be in store for Celtic under Neil Lennon. Supporters of other clubs often levy that. Celtic fans are, you know, winning all the time. Can it, can it be that great? You know, he's a joyless. You don't take any any enjoyment out of winning because he's won all the time and he's want your manager sacked because he lost one cup tie. But you know that's not really the case. The only reason I'm no half cutting is because if I had to come and record this podcast, you know, I would normally be celebrating, I'd really, normally be jumping about. Really sorry to put you out, man. You know, I'm, 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 I'm keeping keep it nice and professional, but this is a, a just such a, a momentous occasion. But at the same time, it, it bears thinking about that 
everything hasn't been rosy in the garden, a garden which was very rosy. That's why we have to ask these questions. You know, it's, it's as simple as that. We, we, everybody wants to try and get to the bottom of why a team that looks so cohesive has, has now slipped to putting in performances like they did today in total command and then putting you through that emotional ringer. As a as a, a guy approaching my fortieth year here on the planet, <laughs> I, I do remember what it was like back in the dark old days, of the nineties, Celtic Dahi and all that stuff. But it, it, you know, we've got to kind of take an, an overall look at you know how good these last few years have been. We've been absolutely spoiled rotten, and it's been a, a great era uh, to be a Celtic fan. Well, just on that point, Anton, we've saw by events this week how difficult it is to win a treble. So the fact that or a cup at all, well, uh, very catty team, very catty. <laughs> But y- you see the amount of skill, hard work it requires, but also the amount of luck to carry that over a four-year period is just absolutely phenomenal. And it's, I suppose, the uncomfortable bit when we, we look at the, the whole legacy element is what are your views or are the fans' views in general on Rogers? Because if you talk about the quadruple treble, you need to talk about the foundations he laid for it. No doubt about it. You know, he did come in and he did make us a much more professional outfit. He raised the standards, developed some uh, uh, good talents in the squad. And absolutely, you've got to give him credit for that. Obviously, the way he left, left a sour taste in the mouth. But in time, I think people will realise that uh, his arrival at Celtic was a, a big moment in this current era we find ourselves in and a big part of the achievements that we've, we've yeah, made. Yeah, I, ha- I have to say, I've got no huge... Uh, axe to grind with Brendan Rodgers um, he brought us phenomenal success he turned us into a, a far more professional outfit than we perhaps had been he, he inherited some sketchy stuff under Ronnie Dyla and we had some amazing times under Brendan Rodgers I do have an issue with the, the timing of how we left but I think it's quite clear that his relationship with Celtic whether it was Peter Lowell directly or the board it clearly run its course and it looked like at the next possible opportunity he was off now whether that's because he wasn't backed financially or there's other things that he maybe wanted to maybe install at Lennox Town or, or whatever. There's clearly been a, a, a partner of the ways and quite an acrimonious split, which is troubling in itself because there's say what you want about him. You can't deny he's a real perfectionist, a real tactician, a real man manager and, and a real success. You can see that with the Leicester team that he's he's brought to a couple of successes. Miff's giving me a funny look here. Are you? <laughs> I've been a bit more diplomatic than what I'd be allowed to say. I've got no huge issue because he brought success to the club and he raised standards. I acknowledge that. I acknowledge. The, the way he left left a bit of a sour taste, but overall, I think his time will be well remembered. <laughs> Maybe not next year, the year after, but in years to come. I, I think as well, we need to be prepared because the, there will be departures like Rogers and Tierney again. It's just unfortunate where Scottish football and Celtic's current place is in the food chain at the moment, that we will have future heroes come and go, future managers come and go. And uh, that's just unfortunate, but it's a reality and, you know, the club uh, is bigger than all of these individuals. And and just to take it full circle, I think that brings it back to the magnitude of the achievement, Mm -hmm. is that despite the constant flux that you've got, you know, all those heroes that have came and went through the whole, the the past four seasons, and there is still a core of players within that squad that have managed to keep driving, keep driving and take us over the line, you know, and somebody like a Scott Brown, a Lee Griffiths, a Tom Rogic, that have been there all the way I'm through. I'm Comper. Oh, right. Played his part. Yeah. So, it, did, I, right, it was at a cup, cup appearance against, against Morton. Morton. Yeah. Gied so, the ball away 30 yards for goal. So there's some uh, there's some interesting stats here just to kind of summarise the, the quadruple treble. So Celtic have won 147 out of their 180 games in the quadruple treble run. 
36 of them have been cup wins and they've drawn 22 and lost just 11 in four seasons of football. So credit where it's due and obviously that's a, a combination of Brendan Rodgers and Neil Lennon. So what I'd like to ask out with the the, ma- the management and Miff's, his eyes are, are burning through me there when I was talking about Brendan <laughs> Rodgers, so we'll, we'll skip past that. He, look, he looks absolutely furious, but in terms of... That's, that's a, a glorious day to be. <laughs> the four, time to be angry, any time Yeah, the four years of success, the four trebles in a row there. Who are the real heroes for you? Who are the standouts in terms of the players? An obvious one is obviously Scott Brown, but who else, you know, amongst those Brendan Rodgers teams and beyond were the real standout? What about you, Anton? I think Moussa Dembele had uh, an incredible impact in, in his time at Celtic, uh, you know, for picking him up for a small outlay. We didn't really know too much about him. I just thought his rise was kind of meteor- meteoric, uh, particularly in that first game against Rangers where... He scored the hat trick, and uh, instantly uh, he's off. We're off to the races with him, and he was a, a an excellent striker. And you know, as I mentioned about you know Rogers and Tierney, he came here, he developed, he hit the heights, he improved the team by you know being there and doing the business for us, and unfortunately had to move on. But uh, he was a, an excellent striker for us, and I think he'll be looked back as one of the best strikers that we've had in the modern era. I, I would agree with that, Anton. Um, for me, Mikael Wustig is an absolute standout. Just, the, I think, the character that he brought to the team and within the dressing room is being missed right now. Scott Sinclair, who for two seasons was pretty much untouchable up here, and, and it's good to see he's got his form back for, for Preston as well. Mm-hmm. Um, again, a quite a bizarre kind of almost bombing out Sinclair when, when, when Lenny came in. I don't know if that was done for board level regarding his contract. And yeah. the, the story is that Lenny, I think, I, I don't remember the moment, but apparently in Lenny's first game back in charge, Sinclair gets subbed off at half-time, which in itself was quite a rarity, and that maybe set the tone for how it played out. So I don't know, maybe he's just not Lenny's type of player. His form had dipped, to be fair, towards Aye. the end of his time, but no doubt in his contribution, uh, an, an excellent uh, first couple of seasons. Somebody else I think we we have to mention, we touched on him a wee bit earlier, and he's a much maligned character, James Forrest. James Forrest, uh, his consistency over uh, the last few years has been excellent and I think he's incredibly underrated by a vast section of the support. One of them sitting next to you. <laughs> I think that he's um, his his goals and Aye, his uh, assists over the over last years. <laughs> I, I find them so frustrating, and it's incredible when you look at the stats. Seriously, I seriously, don't come at me, man. You already <laughs> had your Brendan Rodgers moment there. I think uh, I just pro, think pro Rodgers anti Forrest. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to get us cancelled after episode oh. one. I just think that. In a Bobo Baldy style, he's the kind of guy that the longer he's out the team, the better player he becomes. Now, I'm not denying James Forrest is a talent and he's played a huge part in the the nine and, and whatever happens beyond that, whether we clinch the ten. But I find him so frustrating. I think he's decision-making at times. The stats bear out, right? And, I, and I, I appreciate stats, but sometimes I also appreciate watching a game of football and seeing wasteful passes and things I, I, like listen, that. Listen, absolutely. And I, I know what, what, you're, what you're getting at. You know, he's far from, you know, the perfect footballer. But what I would say is he is highly effective for us and again not having him in the team he balances out in terms of the width and the reliability I think more than anything else that he brings you know he creates goals he scores goals but he also does his shift as well for the team and him being out of the team I think really put it out of kilter it's, it's a contributing factor you know it's a big contributing factor I agree I think it's definitely highlighted the fact that if not James Forrest then who and I think it's because he's always been there I think him and Scott Brown are certainly the only two players that have been part of the nine all the way through. Callum McGregor's obviously picked up a lot of those titles. And as I say, if we go on to a 10th, then 
what an achievement that is in terms of James Forrest and Scott Brown. <laughs> just have my reservations <laughs> on him overall. But yeah, and obviously when you put it like that and look at his stats, look at his goals and look at what's happening now and that genuine lack of width there, then yeah, it's obviously we're, you know, we're crying out right now for a James Forrest and an experienced guy at that. I don't know what age James Forrest is. He's not as old as you, Anton. He's 27. 40, but he's, he's, 27. Is he that? So he's late 20s. He's been round the block and then some uh, played a lot of European football against top opposition. So uh, we are missing leadership just now as well. And James Forrest is a quiet character. But he also just commands respect for what he's done in the game so far. I think we you've got me convinced, my fellow. Is he no? Is he no our most decorated player after Brown? Yeah. Brown, like, yeah, he would be. He would be. Yeah. I think thinks he's won. I think when you talk about consistency, these guys as well, and we have to mention Mister Consistency, Callum McGregor. Yep. Who is going through a bit of a Don't tough time. Don't get me Bit of a tough time this season, but I think his performances over the last few years as well have been very good. Would be it'd be remiss of us to you know discount the. Uh, contribution that he's made uh, to this era. I think when you when you mentioned earlier about Rogers improving players, I think McGregor's probably the one, and also Forrest, that they had the biggest effect on. He, re- he really seemed to drag an extra level of performance out of them. I was never always utterly convinced with Callum McGregor. I know if people are listening to this, they'll probably think, well, that just shows what you know about football, but I think he has definitely matured and grown into a much better football player o- over time. And, and I think it's coincided with being played more, more centrally as well. Mm-hmm. I'm the same, which you won't be surprised by. I, I wasn't wholly convinced by McGregor and, and a lot of folks dig me up on it now because of the things he went on to achieve. And he really found a level of consistency. I think for a couple of seasons in a row there, he was most appearances in, in Europe for a, a, a footballer in terms of what he was playing domestically, internationally with his club and European competition. He's gone backwards this season, but who, who hasn't in a Celtic shirt? And that maybe is also part of a bigger picture under Neil Lennon. So this isn't the day to criticise Neil Lennon, but there's no doubt that guys like Callum McGregor, like James Forrest, like a very experienced at the time, uh, Scott Brown, all found a new level under Brendan Rodgers, and he also very much helped Kieran Tierney go on a new level. That doesn't seem to be the kind of manager. I wonder, and if this is where we're talking about the difference between a manager and a coach, Brendan Rodgers is an absolutely hands-on, attention-to-detail coach. I think Neil Lennon is a manager. He can get something out of individuals in a motivational sense, but I don't think he really focuses his time, and, and this is maybe just his approach, and, and there's <laughs> there's a lot of success to show for it, but I don't think he says, right, okay, my task is to go and win another treble, 10 in a row. I'm not going to spend my time making guys better players, as in individually. They're either good enough or not, and once I get them in my team, I'll then go and motivate them and try and kick them onto new levels. So it's, it's different styles, isn't it? But it's it's in real contrast, the, the Neil Lennon versus Brendan Rodgers approach. So that's just, you know, again, as I say, it's such a, a huge day for Celtic, huge day for Neil Lennon. And I, I've said for long enough now, for the last number of weeks and months, I think there's, there's Neil Lennon, the manager, and there's Neil Lennon, the man. And I think Neil Lennon, the man, absolutely deserves everything that's coming to him today for, you know, the success. You mentioned it, Miff, you know, there's, he's, he's, Faced all sorts of challenges, but over 20 years, he's pretty much given his his professional life for 20 years to Celtic Football Club, and there's no one that wants success for this club more than him. So I think it's just such a huge moment for him and, and delighted on that. So we're, we're drawing things to a close um, in terms of, of tonight's podcast. I suppose the burning question now, you know, 12 titles or 12 top trophies in a row, phenomenal achievement for Celtic. Now it's back to league duty on Wednesday. Where do we now stand in the, the quest to pick up 10 in a row, Anton? I think it's still a big ask. I don't think it's impossible, but we we are kind of relying on us on snookers a, a wee bit. I think that um, we really need to find a, 
some form of cohesion in the back line if, if they have any hope of doing anything. If not, I think we're just walking into disaster come the trip to Ibrox at New Year. They don't look like conceding too many goals and they look like they're able to exploit leaky defences like ours. Unfortunately, it pains me to say all that, but that's just the reality of where, where we are at the moment and we need, really need to find a solution to that. I think today showed that maybe Hazard isn't quite ready for an extended run in the first team, but where does that leave us? I think the goalkeeping problem needs to be solved as soon as possible, whether that means uh, going into the transfer market again uh, at the new year, or do you just give Barkas a run and say, right, you know, we're going we're gonna to make you the number one. But to be fair, we've already done that a couple of times and it's not worked so far. So we've got a real problem there, but we need a solution if we have to have any hope uh, of achieving anything this season. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be against us getting into the, the transfer market in January. It's obviously just around the corner and finding someone who's just more reliable and more capable. We've, we've used three goalies already this season. Might as well make it four for all it is. Um, and whether that fourth guy could be Fraser Foster or not remains to be seen. Miff, what's your thoughts on the the, the challenge ahead? Uh, basically, you don't win leagues by conceding the goals that we concede. And we've manoeuvred ourselves somehow into a position where we're playing major, major catch-up. Because of the gravity of the season, you don't want to turn and say it's gone, but I'm, I'm that's not... not my, that's not my favourite noise I've heard not, from you. I'm not overly confident, and I must say I'm not overly confident. If, if big if, we manage to pull this off, it'll be the greatest ever. I completely agree with that. What I would say is, despite how poorly Celtic have performed this season so far, they somehow still find themselves, albeit a bit out of the picture, but still find themselves in the mix. Should they win their games in hand, should they get a result at Ibrox, then it's all to play for. So I think it will remain to be seen what kind of impact today has on the team. As I said, the the pressure of winning 12 trophies in a row must have been huge and now it's gone and it's gone in the most positive of fashion. So that's a, that's a real positive looking forward. And I just think there's a load that will be lifted off the players and whether they can transfer that into... You know, taking that confidence into their defensive displays and, and, and taking that forward, who knows. In terms of going to Ibrox on the 2nd of January, what St Mirren during last week and Motherwell at the weekend have shown is that there is a, a way to nullify the, the, the clear threat that, that uh, the wide areas uh, Rangers you know, have. They've got you know, Tavernier and uh, Barisic on the right and left-hand side. They are dangerous players moving forward, but all of a sudden when teams just clock that and play well against that, You've seen that it was nullified. St Martin done it perfectly well. And all of a sudden, a guy, Tavernier, who couldn't stop scoring, has had two very quiet and ineffective games. Now, they've got other good players elsewhere. And we'll cross that bridge when we come to it in the 2nd of January. But my overarching point is that the cloak of invincibility that they had around them, that is gone and there's ways to get past them. And I feel they'll drop more points uh, as we move forward. If we can just put a wee bit of doubt in our head by somehow getting a result at that New, Year Day, New Year's Day game or... Um, New Year game, then you know it gives us something, you know, a little bit of optimism going forward, and you know a wee bit of doubt in their head, in their heads will test our metal. Well, I, I I don't doubt that for a minute, but my my issues are with us rather than with the Rangers. I do think the time will come when when they'll drop points and, and things like that. My concern is with us. You know, last year we put our run together where we won. I think we dropped points in the mountain games in a row. Mm-hmm. I just can't see us doing that this year. If we don't do that this year, we won't put enough pressure on Rangers where they'll feel. It. And I think that's because of the position that we're in right now. We've manoeuvred ourselves into that position. So that's that's my biggest concern. But listen, we've got quadruple treble in the bag. That must be a lot of pressure off the players. Here's hoping that just frees them up, express themselves, play with a bit of flair. 
and we can just go back to enjoy watching them playing again. Aye, because that Please. was hellish today. Oh, hellish hellish in a good way as soon as Big Eye are done the business. So yeah, in football, you, you could and should only be looking to your next game. So the next game for Celtic is Wednesday night against Ross County in the league. So for tonight, that brings to, to a close our very special launch episode here at the Celtic Exchange. Congratulations once again to Neil Lennon and his players. My thanks to Miff and Anton for joining us tonight. And finally, thanks to you for listening. We'll see you next week as the Chase for 10 gets back underway. Good night. Sponsored by 1010 Podcasts.